Chloe Cooley, who is an enslaved African woman in Canada, is often used as a prop and a token to show how great Canada is. But why do they always leave out the reality of the situation? Hi, hello, what is up and welcome or welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, the podcast where we discuss true crime and Black Canadian history from a critical decolonial perspective, but above all else, without all the unnecessary propaganda that others love to include, but we hate to listen to. Okay, this is Black History Month edition, so every single day there will be a Black History episode uploaded and there are also going to be some true crime thrown in there, can't leave you guys hanging with that. So let's get into the first episode about Chloe Cooley. Chloe was a young enslaved African woman who was kept primarily in the Queenston area of Upper Canada in the late 1700s. This specific area was taken over by British loyalists from everywhere, but primarily those who had fled the US. So they were coming to Canada for safety. What the hell is even that? Because apparently they weren't safe in the States. Who would have thought? White folks, not safe with other white folks. Shocking. But unfortunately, like many others who were enslaved in Canada and just internationally, not much is known about her, including her birth name, her birth date, or even the birth year. Um, and where she originally came from is also not known. They didn't make any effort to keep documentation of any of those things prior to her enslavement life, which is really unfortunate because she was a person with family and roots prior to being enslaved. So I don't like the fact that there's not much known about her. It makes it seem like all she was was an enslaved woman, and I'm sure she was so much more than that. Under the Imperial Act of 1790, the British Crown allowed everyone who was loyal to them to come to Canada and bring their enslaved folks with them because enslaved folks were considered property, so they were allowed to bring their property. Ugh, disgusted. Under this act, thousands of enslaved people were forced into Canada, adding to the thousands which were already present and enslaved in Canada. In 1793, Chloe, who was enslaved by Adam Vrooman, came to Canada. Adam was a British loyalist who fled to Canada after the American Revolution, and he lived in the Queenston, Upper Canada area that I mentioned before. So he had actually purchased Chloe a few months prior to making his trip from Benjamin Hardison, who was a fellow British loyalist. What exactly she did while being enslaved by these men is unknown, but it can be assumed that she worked in the house or did things of that nature, but again, not documented. So in this same time period, 1790s and onwards, the British government was expanding their colonization efforts. And so they were doing absolutely whatever they could to get folks to move to Upper Canada and the maritime provinces after the American Revolution. Disgusting! They would create land grants as a way to compensate British loyalists for any property that they had left behind when they came to Canada from wherever they came from. The British Canadian government wanted so desperately to colonize the area and they wanted to claim it as their own before the American government could. They were kind of scared of them, which not much has changed. But because of this, there were a lot of rumors swirling around that the government may extend their freedoms to enslaved people as a way to increase their population. This rumor was rooted in the fact that some black folks who fought alongside the British in the American Revolution were granted freedom, whether they were previously enslaved or not. The growing population of freed black folks in Canada made the white enslavers who still had enslaved people in their possession extremely nervous, okay? They were really worried. They didn't want to lose their slaves, their forced labor, or the money that they had quote-unquote invested in them. So they began to sell them off to places where the practice of slavery was enthusiastically welcomed and there were significantly less or none at all of the freed black community i'm sorry what i'm sorry what i'm sorry what i'm sorry what 
Adam Vrooman, being the terrible human being that he was, became super worried that he would eventually be forced to free Chloe and he did not want to do this, so he sold her. On March 14th of 1793, he was to transport Chloe to her new owner who was an American man and his name is not known. Chloe didn't want this, okay? Homegirl did not want to be sold to someone she didn't know. I also imagine that due to the increasing number of freed black folks and these circulating rumors, she also thought that she might have a chance at freedom had she stayed put. So she resisted this sale. She wasn't down with it. Adam and two other men who were employed by him viciously beat her, okay? They then tied her hands and her feet with rope and they attempted to gag her mouth and force her into the boat. Chloe was crying for help from the beginning of the attack all the way to the end and even after they had started to sail away. After she was forced into the boat and they attempted to gag her mouth, Chloe continued to scream. What happened to Chloe, where she ended up, and how she was forced to live out the rest of her days is unknown. Now there were some reports that they arrived in the New York area. Chloe got out of the boat and she tried to get away once again, but unfortunately she was outnumbered so they got her, tied her up, and continued to transport her. Now this was an extremely public attack and everybody saw what happened, but nobody intervened, nobody did anything, nobody cared. I'm not watching this. I'm not watching this. I'm not watching that. They had these concerned looks on their faces, but nobody did anything aside from two men. But they only did something after all of this had gone down. They didn't intervene while it was happening. So Peter Martin, who was a freed black man, and another man named William Grisley, who was a white employee of Adams actually, saw what went down and they went to make a report to the Executive Council of Upper Canada on March 21st of 1793. Peter said that violent outrage was committed against Chloe Cooley, a Negro girl in his service, by binding her, violently and forcibly transporting her across the Niagara River and delivering her against her will to persons unknown. Peter knew that since he was a freed black man who was formerly enslaved, the validity and credibility of his statement would be questioned and possibly ignored altogether. Allegedly, allegedly. So he went above and beyond to go out of his way to make sure that William came down with him to also share what he had witnessed the day of Chloe's attack and sale, but also the day prior, okay? So William stated that while he was working, Adam was talking to someone and he was eavesdropping. Uh, so at the end of the day is... I'm nosy. So he heard Adam say that he was going to sell his Negro wench to some person in the States, and then William also went to back up Peter's version of events. The prosecuting attorney general, John White, was told to bring charges against Adam, but no one ever made sure it happened because it was well within Adam's legal rights to sell his quote-unquote property. An enslaved person in Canada was deprived of all rights, marital, parental, proprietary, and even the right to live. William Riddle wrote that Chloe had no rights, which Adam was bound to respect, so it was more a breach of peace than if he had been dealing with his heifer or his wife. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. So at this point when I was reading this, I was like, they're literally just snitching on themselves, right? They're making clear that enslavement was allowed, but so was beating on your wife or your side piece. It's just, you can't disturb others while doing it. That was the real problem. Adam went on to send a petitioning letter to the council when he learned that he was going to be prosecuted for disturbing the peace. He was like, I didn't do anything wrong. You can't hold me accountable. Shut up. Just shut up. So the letter stated that there was no previous information available about the sale of black folks and the freedom of enslaved people. 
so he was within his right via the laws of the country to dispose of his property, which from the legality of purchase from Benjamin Hardison was his own and without any knowledge of any law being against his actions. And it's like, why did you have to throw Benjamin under the bus? Like, at this point, Benjamin was also living in the same area as Adam. So he was like, if my name is about to be tarnished, yours is going to be tarnished too, because you're the one who sold her to me. Now, Adam claimed that Chloe was unruly, so it was necessary to dispose of her. Oh, Lord. Talking about her as if she is a piece of garbage that he had to get rid of, rather than a person whose life he was permanently altering and destroying more than he already had. He said that Chloe had regularly been fighting him, which, gee, I wonder why, right? Like, why, why would an enslaved woman be fighting her enslaver? I just, it's beyond me. He said that she had been engaging in ongoing acts of resistance, behaving in a quote-unquote unruly manner, and she regularly engaged in truancy and refused to work when told. Which, go Chloe, love that for you, girl, okay? He said that all of these things, alongside her physical struggle against him regularly and the sale in March, warranted much more violence against her, but he used his own goodwill to resist his urges by simply just selling her instead. He said that beating her publicly was justified because of her regular resistance. It impeded on Adam's ability to maintain his property and to sell her. So basically he was mad that he couldn't control her, okay, and said that I'm, I'm good with beating her up. You can't get mad at me because she didn't do what she was supposed to do, so I could do whatever I want. My gag reflex went off. The public brutalization of Chloe had very few Canadians outraged, and if they were outraged, the outrage wasn't genuine, it was very performative. And this was especially the case for Lieutenant Governor Simcoe, who was a member of the Executive Council. So the brutal attack of enslaved people was known to happen, okay? Everybody knew it, but they were fake outraged at the fact that it happened in public, acting as if they didn't know that enslaved people were beaten, tied up and much worse. They were okay when it happened in the comfort of their own homes, but once it was taken to the public, they had to do something about it because now it was messing with their public image and they wanted to paint themselves as somewhat better and superior to the nasty Americans to the South. It's also especially ironic as 12 people, almost half of the executive council at this time, were enslavers themselves. Wait a damn minute. <laughs> What a damn they all had only gotten to where they were off of the back of enslaved Africans and the stolen land of indigenous people. But now they wanted to act like they were sitting on some sort of moral high ground. This has got to be the most telling display of Canadian racism and prejudice if I ever did see it. So the act against slavery was brought forth by Attorney General John White and was endorsed by Lieutenant Governor Simcoe shortly after Chloe's kidnapping was witnessed. And the act was brought forth on June 19th of 1793. It was written by Chief Justice William Osgood. Despite the majority of the council being enslavers themselves and having enslaved Africans in their custody, they did not want to publicly oppose the bill as it would make them look bad. So they were absolutely against it, but they weren't against it hard enough to make it not pass. That's weird. John stated that the bill received very much opposition, but very little argument. As I mentioned before, a lot of these folks voting on this bill were enslavers themselves, so they were not going to vote in favor of anything that forced them to hand over their quote-unquote property. 
and folks outside of Parliament who had enslaved folks were not going to willingly give them up either. There were a lot of amendments and compromises that had to be made in favor of the enslavers, which allowed the act to pass. On July 9th, 1793, an act to prevent the further introduction of slaves and limit the terms of contract for servitude or the act to limit slavery in Upper Canada was passed into law. It is the one and only Canadian law explicitly banning slavery. Kind of, sort of. So this law didn't abolish enslavement in Upper Canada, and it didn't free those who were already enslaved. It was just meant to make sure that slavery couldn't expand, but allowed it to openly continue. This act made it illegal to sell enslaved folks within Canada and across the border to America. Although let's be extremely clear, let's be so for real right now, okay? It was illegal, but it didn't stop them from doing so. And the last recorded slave sale actually happened in 1824. But it is possible that the last sale happened much later. They just didn't keep adequate records of it or keep records that could easily be found because it was illegal. So there were three classes of people under this law. Those who were held in slavery at the time of the law would continue to be property of their owners for the rest of their lives unless freed. So it was on the enslaver to do something good and let them go. Why would they do that? People who were born to enslaved mothers would be given freedom at age 25. Their owners were encouraged to hire them as indentured servants for up to nine years at a time, and those terms were renewable. And if we're being so for real, indentured servitude in Canada for black folks was just used as another nicer form of enslavement. The white enslavers had all of the power, making it virtually impossible for fair agreements to be created from the start. No one governed these agreements. Black folks who were in indentured servitude were rarely paid, if ever at all. And sometimes they would be additionally charged for small things just to put them in debt to their owner to keep them longer than the agreed terms. And the third class of people was freed black folks and of course they would remain free and their children would be born free from birth which they're already free so like duh now this is the part that really gets me okay if any enslaver freed an enslaved person they were to post bond or pay a fee to the government so that they wouldn't create financial burdens on the country due to the removal of that quote-unquote profitable slave from the system literally making it a deterrent to free enslaved people. So the passing of this law repealed the Imperial Act of 1790, which allowed colonizers to transport enslaved people. And if enslaved people were brought to Canada, as soon as they crossed that border, they were supposed to be freed upon arrival. But no one made sure that this happened. It was just up to the enslaver to do it, which why would they do that? Like, obviously these people had slaves. They saw nothing wrong with owning slaves. They believed that they had both a legal and a moral obligation to do so. Like, please be so for real. These people aren't going to willingly give up black folks who they considered their property. Like, they're just not going to. But if I'm being 100% honest, this law was only passed to make white Canadians and white Canadian lawmakers feel better about themselves while continuing to profit off of enslavement, allowing it to happen within the country, and turning a blind eye to the brutality of enslavement, but patting themselves on the back for the good deed in which they had done. Which wasn't really a good deed at all. And I, oh! This law also did not address indigenous people who were enslaved, only black people. 
So a historical marker was installed by the Ontario Heritage Trust to recognize where Chloe was kidnapped and forced into an unknown fate. On April 27th of 2022, Chloe Cooley was named as a historic person on the recommendation of the National Historic Sites and Monuments Board. Chloe Cooley's story was also made into a five-minute documentary by Andrea Conte, and I will leave that link down below if you are interested in watching that. I literally, like, a couple days ago, Canada Post issued a stamp with her image on it. So. We have now come to the part of the podcast where I give my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions. I... Mm-mm-mm. Today drained me. I had never heard of Chloe Cooley, and when we talk about, like... First of all, we don't really talk about enslavement in Canada like that, but whenever we do talk about it, we don't talk about why it was outlawed. It's just like, yeah, they decided that it wasn't good anymore. No, the situation with Chloe forced their hand, okay? It messed with their public image. So that's why they decided to do something about it. And that's very on brand for Canada. But also what they did protected them and protected their money and their best interests because nobody was forced to free the folks that they had enslaved in their custody. And if they did free anybody, they had to pay. So it's like, they, why would they do that? If two plus two was four, five plus five is 10. Okay. But wanted to act like they did this great thing and act like we were so, just so, so, so far ahead of America when America would literally go on to abolish slavery in 1865. Canada did it in 1793. That's not a huge gap, if we're being honest. I really, it irritates me how not much is known about Chloe prior to enslavement because it makes it seem, like I said before, like her life just started and that's all that she was. That was her only value, that was her only purpose. And that's not fair, not accurate. Like black people, existed prior to slavery we had history prior to enslavement so that should be talked about that should be recognized and it should be just as important as what happened once black folks were enslaved but this is a theme that you're going to see with the episodes that where we do talk about women or men who were enslaved it's like that's just kind of where their life starts i really have a big issue with the canadian government naming chloe as a historic person um, and then also putting her on a stamp because when they do so, they don't acknowledge the full history and the full extent of why she was in the position that she was in and the way that they played a role in that. It's just like, yes, she was an amazing woman. And it's like, was she an amazing woman or was she just somebody who didn't want to be enslaved anymore, who was being beaten in public, she was being brutalized and nobody did anything about it because as a black woman, they saw her as a piece of property who wasn't worth protecting. Oh, okay. And how does that now carry over into today? in Canada. Like, I just, the disconnect is real. The cognitive dissonance is just, it's real. Every single time Black History Month rolls around and I can't stand it. Like, they'll make these big public spectacles being like, yes, Chloe, amazing, we love her. But they distance themselves from, from the women and what happened to them. It's like, oh, well, the government did that so, 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 so long ago. And it's like, okay, Government did it, but never paid reparations, never really formally acknowledged slavery, never acknowledged or apologized for the fact that this happened to Chloe, never apologized or acknowledged for the fact that the anti, the quote-unquote anti-slavery law that they passed didn't actually free anybody, and it, all it did was give white enslavers ways to further manipulate folks. Like, when we talk about the fact that Indentured servitude for black people, I want to be specific, indentured servitude for black people in Canada was just an extension of slavery. I said what I said! And it's something that would go on, like, if you listen to the other podcast episodes that I released a couple weeks ago about the ban on black immigration 
and in the West Indian domestic scheme, you see how these things have just continued. They look slightly different, but it's the same thing at its core. I don't like the fake acknowledgement. It just, it doesn't sit well with me. Not now, not ever. I hope that at some point Chloe got a taste of freedom, even if it was only very short, uh, very temporary. I just hope that her whole life wasn't horrendous and tumultuous and everyone just stood around and let that happen. Oh boy. If you like this podcast episode and you are watching on YouTube, make sure to give it a big like. Make sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification so you're aware of every single episode that goes up this month. Remember, there's going to be a lot. You don't want to miss it, okay? And if you are listening on your favorite streaming platform, then make sure to rate the podcast. In the description below, you can find links to my Patreon where you can subscribe and get early access to all of the episodes that are going out this month. You also get a say in what I do and there will be new and additional benefits in the coming weeks as well. And if you are looking to support in other ways, you can find those links in the description down below as well. So again, thank you so much and I will see you tomorrow.